find a lot of the time that I preach, I want to, I feel this urge within me to, to move people from a place of, let's say, weaker, weaker um, standing in the understanding of God to a place of strength in their relationship with God. My desire for people is that they become more free and more secure. And by free, I don't mean free to do whatever you please. I mean free in your soul that you know you're in right standing with God. That peace and joy that comes from heaven, not from earth. So it's not freedom in the sense of you can go and do as you please or sin. I, I don't mean the abuse of grace when I speak of freedom. I mean a deep and true freedom that you know that you are free. That scripture that says, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. You, you know there's something that's changed. And uh, our salvation that God has wrought for us, when, it, when it's applied to us personally, it's really His salvation of us, but when it's applied to us personally, it changes us in profound ways. It changes us deeply on the inside, and it should bring all kinds of good fruit downstream, including peace and uh, the, the, the removal of like uh, fear and the, the removal of distrust of God and the removal ultimately of having to live a kind of a, a religious life where you do things uh, in order to try and bargain with God in some kind of unhealthy way. And I want to speak a bit about that this morning. I'm speaking about faith and superstition and a little mention about science as well. Because you know, faith, science, superstition, they all go together sometimes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we spend some time thinking about you and meditating on your word, looking at scripture, I pray that you would change our minds, Lord, so that we can better comprehend how good a deal it is that you want for us, how much you love us, and how much you're for us, in Jesus' name. Amen. I've wondered sometimes about the difference between superstition and faith, because both seem to be about believing stuff that you can't prove. It's believing stuff that is unseen or intangible, it's supernatural in many cases, and of course when when you as, as a Christian, you learn about superstition, you start to think about magic and witchcraft, and you rightly reject superstition, but that's at a surface level that you do that. You don't normally understand in the deeper ways in which superstition might still be impacting your behavior and your thinking. And so for believers, we know that superstition is wrong and that our genuine faith is a very different thing. I think the, the baseline for me is that the superstitions are really often built around lies and faith is actually built on truth, and that truth is external to us. It's not my truth. It's God's absolute word that He has spoken something that is truth. And so when you put your faith in God's word, then faith is now on a basis of truth which is reliable. So we live in an age where you almost want to say true truth, because people, you know, this is where they start speaking about facts and the truth, as if they're two different things, but a fact is supposed to be true. When you base your life on God's Word, that's how faith operates in that sphere, because His Word is truth, because it's completely trustworthy and right. Um, but from the world's perspective, 
they don't usually make that distinction. People who are, let's say, secular atheists, they might look at a Christian and say, you're just the same as a superstitious person, you're believing in fairy tales, it's make-believe, it's childish, you should grow up because we have science. And uh, science has, of course, uh, displaced uh, a whole lot of uh, religious fears and superstitious stuff and witchcraft with a much more sophisticated framework of thinking. At least that's what people hoped, because they said, you know, science is now just the discovery what's, of what's actually real, but it's not really that simple, because actually they get it wrong. But uh, as I would call it a kind of a hypocrisy, because science is really just the study of the observable universe, and science doesn't answer the deeper questions of the origin of existence itself. It can't speak to the meaning of life, or even beyond the physical limitations of provable hypotheses. In other words, science is only science because you can prove something to be correct. And there are many things that science can't prove or disprove, even within the realm of the physical universe, let alone a spiritual dimension. So, far from being an answer, um, you know, science, when treated as a god, is a very weak god. It can't identify its own cause. There's a problem for science. It can't identify its own cause. And it can't give a reasonable answer to existence itself. The fact is, it's more rational and reasonable to believe in a supernatural creator than none at all. In other words, to, to come as a scientist-minded person and say everything that exists just exists because it exists is a stupid answer. That's what I'm saying as an engineer with a science degree. To just explain the cosmos by saying it, it exists is not an answer. But to say that we don't know is more honest and science doesn't know where it came from. And to say that it was created by creator then is actually much more reasonable than just to say it made itself. It didn't, obviously. So. Sadly, when people follow science as an ultimate authority, it will let them down. And this is where I think some of the hypocrisy has been seen in recent years when you come to, for example, COVID and lockdowns. See, some time has passed now and we're not as in the dark as we were in the dark ages of the science of COVID. You remember the phrase, follow the science? Do you remember people blindly following science? Well, it was all junk because there was never a proper study to prove whether lockdowns worked or not. Sadly, we were that study. And now that the evidence is in, they've proved that lockdowns don't work. So we were following the science as a religion that's been now proved to be false right then because with newer evidence and more real studies, they know that certain things they were telling us was science was not, it was speculation. And so I'm just kind of highlighting the fact that even people who call themselves kind of rational are irrational. And even people who say they're scientific and they don't believe in God, they're still in the dark. So that's a kind of irony and hypocrisy of accusing people who uh, worship God of being short-sighted. It's pretty interesting to me that science actually is only valid when it's true. It's only valid when it's true. God's word is valid because it's true and it's always true. Provably, repeatedly. 
and uh, there wasn't really enough science to back up the idea of lockdown, it was just a theory. The scientists were leading, even leading governments, and people were believers. It might have worked, but it didn't work. It could have worked, but now we know it wasn't going to work. So we were lied to when we were told that the experiment was the solution. That was a lie because science can't tell you the experiment is the solution. It can only discover if there's a plausible solution. To put it another way, we are lied to when we are told the unproven theory is a fact. And the, the world of science tends to do this. They make up a theory like evolution and then they put it forward as a fact. And it's not proven. It's just a theory and it can't be demonstrably proven. Parts of it can, not all of it can. Anyway, the thing is, why am I starting with this attack on science? I love science. I think we should all know more and discover more about the universe. It's glorious. It speaks of God. Really, it does testify to His existence. But what, what upsets me is that God doesn't actually want people to be the victims of this kind of deception. God doesn't want us to be like building our lives on something which isn't true. So whether it's science or superstition, God doesn't want us building our lives on something that isn't true. God is not anti-science or anti-superstition at a kind of a, a just a, a level of simple like discrimination, oh I don't like superstition and I don't like science. No, it's because those things get people bound into something which isn't true and can't help, can't save, can't make good on its promises. So God in His goodness actually wants us to have truth so that we can stand in a stronger position. When we see the Word of God, we see this kind of stuff's always been happening. In Deuteronomy 18 verse 9, we read from Deuteronomy 18 verse 9 to 14, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. So nations have abominable practices all through history. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. See, it's horrible to have to sacrifice a child into a volcano for some god that's a false god, when it achieves nothing. And people sacrifice their sons and their daughters in this generation to ideas about sexuality that are going to destroy their lives. They're still doing it. They, they, even the people in the field of child psychology say this stuff is abusive, but the mainstream says, no, no, you've got the right to be in control of your life and do anything you want with it. Just wait and see where that leads. When those children that are growing up now realize how misled they've been, they're going to sue governments and governments are going to be in big trouble. Anyway, I hope that happens because the truth must come out. So there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens, or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. So when Israel got the promised land, it wasn't unjust that they came in and took it. It was because of the sins of those nations that God was punishing those nations. He drove them out because of their witchcraft, their abominations, 
And then he says, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you are about to dispossess. Listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. Not permitted to listen to fortune tellers and diviners. So what's been happening? Why is God so angry? It's because people are being lied to and people are believing lies. The dead don't speak. That's what scripture teaches us, that it's given to man once to live and then to face judgment. He goes away by the spirit, in spirit he goes away and he is no longer coming back to earth until maybe the resurrection of the dead at the end of time. But when you get people saying, I went to a, a witch doctor or a fortune teller or some magic person and I consulted the Ouija board and then I spoke to my auntie so-and-so who died 10 years ago. They didn't speak to auntie so-and-so. That channeling of that spirit was a demonic manifestation. They spoke to a demon that's pretending to be auntie so-and-so. Auntie so-and-so doesn't come back to earth after she dies. That's just what the Bible teaches us. So, why is God unhappy. Well, he's unhappy with the falseness of what's going on, with the deception, with the lies. In Ezekiel 13 verse 17 and verse 18 we read, You son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own minds. Prophesy against them and say, Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the woman who sew magic bands upon all wrists and make veils for the heads of persons of every stature in the hunt for souls. Ezekiel speaking against people who were claiming to be able to uh, know the future and they were prophesying lies to people. They were prophesying according to their own minds. In other words, made up prophecy. What is the true thing that is there in that text? It's where God says, say to them, thus says the Lord God. So God speaks His Word is truth. Other people speak counter to or contrary to the Word of God. They're prophesying out of their own minds. And God's not pleased with it because they're leading people astray. However, when you come to the New Testament and you see what happens to people who come to Christ, is they're quick to turn away from their superstitions, their magic charms. In Acts 19 verse 18 it says, Many of those who are now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. There was a lot of superstition going on. And I suggest that people are still superstitious by nature and there may be a lot more superstition going on around us, even within like a... A realm like science where people believe it with a kind of a idolatrous belief when some of science is not even the truth. So what is it all really about? Well it's about control. People believe that if they could just get the science right they can control things properly better. So they analyze and they do all the work to get the statistics, the metrics and then they try to predict where the market will go or they try to predict how you could make your business more successful. It's almost like fortune telling at times. And apparently now AI in some models has already outperformed human stock brokers at working out how to invest money. So we're in all kinds of serious trouble. What I mean is that the magicians are no longer going to look so spectacular. 
Um, it's about control. It's about trying to predict things and trying to be in control of them. And so, if you had to ask the dictionary what's a definition for superstition, well, here's a definition from Wikipedia. Superstition is the belief in supernatural causality that one event causes another without any natural process linking the two events. So there's superstition is put firmly in the realm of the supernatural. It's causality, one event causes another without any natural process linking the two events. So for example, uh, a black cat crosses your path and now you're going to have some bad luck. You know, it's not just that you need the SPCA, it's, it's some supernatural thing going to happen. You, 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 you got given the number 13, well I shouldn't say anything about that in politics here. <laughs> in other countries the number 13 is like an unlucky number. In some airplanes there's no row 13. I was just sitting on my, one on my way back from South Africa and I was like, wait a minute, it goes 12, 14. I didn't know they still did that. Some buildings, when they high-rise buildings, they have no 13th floor because they're afraid they couldn't sell the rooms, people wouldn't pay the rent to live on the 13th floor, they'd be cursed. That's superstition. Those of you who are distrustful of Wikipedia, here's Encyclopedia Britannica's definition. Superstition, belief, half-belief or practice for which there appears to be no rational substance. Or the Cambridge Dictionary says belief that is not based on human reason or scientific knowledge, like follow the science to in COVID but is connected with old ideas about magic, etc. All of, all of this is about a desire to control. Human beings desire to control things. We have desired to control things from the time sin entered the world. It was actually there that the devil said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. And if you can be like God, what does that mean? You don't need God to be in control because you can be in control. And so it was a self is promoted to the status of being like God. We become gods of our own destiny. That was the whole beginning of it, this desire for control. And in fact, sin entered into marriages and said, you know, your wife is going to try to control you as a husband, Adam. And this kind of control is likened to witchcraft in the Bible because it's an illegitimate exercise of authority. It's trying to control someone who you don't have the authority to control. Sorry, babe, you have to win me another way. Well, it's not just that women try to manipulate men, it's that men also try to control their wives. But what is man's asset? His asset is that he is usually physically bigger, stronger, louder, and he can bully her. Now that's not true in every situation. There are some East German women who wrestle, and they can probably bully their husbands. That was a joke, but um, the, it's, you know you can't ever say anything as a generalization without qualifying it. So I was just qualifying that not every man is stronger than his wife. But the tendency is that men who want to control do so by intimidation, so they bully their spouses, and yet the command in scripture was that they love their wives and give themselves up for her. You lead by laying your life down, you don't lead by dictating and dominating. And you're not supposed to control your husband by manipulating and seducing and withholding sex and doing favors and getting into all kinds of tricky stuff. All that God hates and it's just the same as superstition. It's an attempt to control somebody else. 
And so with magic, you go and you find a spell, a love potion, and you go to that lady that doesn't love you, and you really want her to love you, but you're not married to her, she doesn't even know you, but you go to the witch doctor, and they sell you a love potion. If you just put this under her pillow, she will fall in love with you. People trying to control people. That's what it's always been about. Anyway. So, what objects, behaviors, and beliefs give us a false sense of control over our lives? This is a question we should ask. What good luck charms and theological talismans relieve us of the burden of true belief? The difference lies in the subtleties of our inner intentions. But any object, behavior, or belief that you invest with the power to save you, you give or give you, you think that thing will give you good things, apart from the power of the living God, is a pious talisman and is driving you away from the gospel. So there are things we do that, that we think are going to make our lives go well. This is where it gets a little bit more interesting. Even the reliance of science and medicine, reliance on the blessing of medicine, for example, without recognizing God is ultimately the decider of life and death. That's offensive to God. You, I've mentioned this verse before where um, Asa, the king, basically he was diseased in his feet. It's 2 Chronicles 16 verse 12. It says, in the 39th year of Asa, the reign, his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet. And his disease became severe. So the king is sick. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. The problem is not that he sought help from physicians, it's that he thought the physicians were the only one he should seek help from. He's effectively pushed God out of the picture and said, I will fix my problem with science. Or maybe those physicians were that other kind of physician that do magic. Makes no difference. If you push God out of the picture and say, I'm going to control things myself, then you are actually doing something offensive to God. And it's common. And the problem here is we think it's okay, we've separated science from God, but God is ruler over all. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Which means we can go happily to a doctor but we should go there saying, God, you reign over everything. My hope isn't in the doctor, my hope is still in you. Thank you for blessing me with a doctor to help me in this situation. See, God gave us the blessing of science and medicine, but when we push God out of the picture and say we're going to rely on that to have control, it's abominable to God. And of course, superstition is also found in the realms of Christianity. And uh, there are kind of modern, worldly, superstitious behaviors that people follow. I would put these under the category, perhaps not as Christianity, but quasi-Christianity or quasi-Christians. When you get into a bus and you see the sticker on the dashboard that says something like, uh, you know, God bless my bus, you know. You know what that guy is driving the bus? is a polytheist. He believes in many things. He believes perhaps in alcohol, in which case you shouldn't ride in his bus. He believes in the spirits because he goes to his family's turning of the bones. He believes in the traditions of Madagascar because when they break ground they perform the right ceremony. 
he believes in positioning the table the certain direction that you're supposed to position the table in, and he believes that if he also appeals to the Christian God with a sticker in his bus, that he can get protection from him too. So I accuse him of being a polytheist. Don't be fooled by something that looks like a nice scripture on the back of a bus. It doesn't mean the owner or the driver is a Christian. They may be. In fact, I know that there are Christians in South Africa who in the 80s stuck stickers on their cars that said, this car is protected by Psalm 91. Man, I need that magic. I need the power of Psalm 91. If I can just stick the sticker on my car, I'll never have an accident. What is that that I'm describing? It's superstition. That's what it is. It's ascribing some kind of sense of control. I'm changing the way things are going to happen by putting this declaration on my car that it's protected by Psalm 91. It's not really a reflection of my relationship with God. It's a little bit of a mental game to give me a sense of peace that everything will be alright when I drive in my car. That's superstition. So, you could be the quasi-Christian bus driver or you could be the innocent, nice Christian lady who has a bumper sticker. Well, let's just keep on unloading the machine gun now. Let's take on Catholicism for a moment. You could have rosary beads and you could be counting your prayers. Other religions do that too, by the way. Buddhism, various Eastern religions, they have prayer beads. Uh, those rosary beads, a lot of people you see in the movies, you'll see the taxi driver and he's got his rosary hanging on the rear of your mirror. Very cool. I've done my prayers. Those, sometimes you pray a set prayer, it's the same as a chant. It's um, done as a, as a charm, as a lucky charm. Or, if that's a Catholic who knows God and loves Him and is a believer, a true believer, they could have also prayed a sincere prayer. So let's not judge too fast. But for many, it's just a, a token of some kind of a comfort. It's not actually the reason things will go well or not. It's just like a lucky charm, like a Saint Christopher. I don't know if you know what a Saint Christopher is. It's like a little medal, put it on a chain, wear it around your neck, give you security. I don't know. So these are the times we start patting ourselves on the back and we say, well, I'm not Catholic. I'm a spirit-filled man of faith. See, I'm not superstitious. I don't do those things because, you know, I'm maybe spirit-filled and I know things about faith. So in Pentecostalism, notice I've moved on now, I'm not just pointing out issues with the Catholics, I'm talking about Pentecostals like myself. I speak in tongues, I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I'm Pentecostal. Within the charismatic Pentecostal side of the church we've had some moves where there's been an error that's come in not everyone's done this, only some segment of Pentecostalism took things too far in terms of the word of faith and the name it and claim it teachings. These guys that did this, it originates way back when I was a rabid, charismatic, looking for someone to lay my hands on every Sunday. 
I still pray for you guys every Sunday. I just don't call you out and put my hands on you. If you want me to put my hands on you and pray for you, you're welcome to come and ask for prayer anytime. But my prayer is not more powerful than another guy's prayer. But my God is the same powerful as your God, if we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. So, where was I? Pentecostal times. The word of faith thing came with guys like um, Kenneth Hagen, um, maybe even towards the television ministries, you will hear a lot of that kind of um, distortion. What they're basically doing is they're saying, if you, if you pray for someone, they must be healed, because God will heal everyone. Uh, if you envision, visualize something, you just have to name it and claim it, because you know God will give you everything you ask. Jesus will heal everyone who's sick. And... Um, What's wrong with this? I mean, they even use scriptures to, to prop up these ideas. Well, the, the underlying danger is that in some people's minds, the power of faith is the cause of the miracle or the cause of the change. The power of faith is the cause rather than the will of God. So that's what it boils down to. The power of faith is the cause rather than the will of God. And the problem with it scripturally is that God, in fact, does have a will. In other words, you can't just claim something unless God wants you to have it. In which case, you should hear from the Spirit, He wants this for me, it's in His Word, it's, it's been confirmed. And then you can claim it with lots of faith. But what happens is people start claiming things God hasn't given them and has no will to give them. It can even be a healing that someone tries to claim. And in the situation then that God does not heal the person and maybe they still get sicker and die, many people fall away from God because nobody understands why it didn't work. Why didn't it work when I prayed? Why didn't God do what I wanted Him to do? There's the root problem. You wanted God to serve you. God wants you to serve Him. You wanted your will to be done. God says His will should be done. And this is the problem with the word of faith and the name it and claim it fringe of Pentecostal circles is that people become presumptuous in how they pray. And it's not just Pentecostalism, it's, it's right through Christianity. It comes into evangelical uh, circles. Um, and consider these things for a moment. Psalm 103. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 5. Beautiful psalm. Of David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So we take those texts and we say, well, God must heal all disease. But we forget to dig deeper into Israel's history and see what God is actually talking about. The major diseases Israel had was that they were backsliding. They were spiritually deaf and blind. They needed a new heart and a new spirit. And God healed all those diseases in Christ. Those with the best intentions take verses as rules. They say, Jesus healed all who were sick, so he must always heal every sickness. It's not true. 
He healed all who were sick while he walked the earth because he was demonstrating that he was the Son of God and that the kingdom had come. And the kingdom is coming and the kingdom will still come as Jesus returns. But here these guys say, okay, Jesus must heal everyone. But in the very same New Testament, you will see that, Jesus, that, that the disciples weren't always healed of everything. Timothy needed to take wine for his stomach. He had perpetual stomach ailments. Paul had a thorn that God said to him, it's not my will to take it away from you. I don't know what his thorn was, but health, wealth and prosperity would say, surely if Paul had enough faith, he would have received the healing by claiming it. But no, God said, my grace is sufficient for you, which means no, I'm not going to remove this thing from you. Why would God leave someone in a worse state? Because God knows it's a better situation. Because God has a will. Because God's will is done. And so we want something. Paul wanted deliverance from this thorn. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And you may go into something one day as a believer. And if you've been taught that God always does everything you want, like blesses you with health and always answers your prayer for a miracle, you don't understand God has a will. And you can't have everything that you want. People get very disillusioned when God disappoints them. So I'm kind of helping you understand God a bit better. He does what's best and what's right. He doesn't do what we want necessarily. And so we can't take these verses and just extrapolate. Because God opened prison doors in the early part of Acts twice. But he, does he always do it? No. Later on in Acts, Paul sitting in jail writing heaps of scripture. Why did God not open the prison doors? Because it was better for Paul to be in prison according to God's plans. God has a will. His will was for Paul to be in prison at that time. When you teach falsely and believe falsely that God will heal in every situation, you're actually making less of God. You're putting yourself, your faith in the seat of control. The superstition is in thinking that you have an ability to exert the control. The object of your superstition is faith. That's the problem with the word of faith or the name it and claim it. False teaching is that you're actually putting faith in faith. So the object of your superstition, the thing that gives you power and control is your faith rather than God himself being sovereign. It's, it is a kind of a superstition that's come into the church. When you say you're not Catholic and you're not an extreme Pentecostal, so of course you're exempt from that too. But, you know, in recent um, evangelical church, um, kind of, I don't know how to describe this, disappointing behavior, the Western churches, um, many, many people got caught up in the politics of the United States. And they... They said that, they, that God was going to appoint a certain guy as a president. Many church leaders were backing someone to be president. And they got involved at the level where they were prophesying that this guy is going to be the president. And the elections came and, well, he had won already, but this was the next time. And then he lost. And he wasn't elected as president. Do you know what Ezekiel 13 verse 17 said? You, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own minds. 
they basically think they can have what they want, and so they prophesy what they say God wants, but it's really what they want. Do you understand what I'm saying? So somebody is declaring, God says this guy's going to be president, but God never said that. They want this guy as president, but God has his own will. Guess what happened? Hundreds of church leaders were embarrassed because they had prophesied that this guy would be the president and then we got another guy in the US. And I look at these things only because I'm looking at one of the world's major influential nations that shapes the way people think across the face of the earth. Anyway, the superstition is in thinking that they have the ability to exert the control. Really, it's a kind of arrogance. It's saying, we can control things. We prophesy the future of our nation. We prophesy this guy's president. Where do they stand after that when they were wrong? So, it's this, again, this idea to try and exert control. Now I'm going to take it a little bit more down to earth. And say, even good Christian disciplines, even good Christian disciplines, little routines, can end up being superstition in your life. Today everything should go fine because I had a good quiet time. I did my part this morning. I got up early and I prayed and so I'm expecting it to be a good day. Why? You know why you're going to have a good day? There's only one reason you're going to have a good day. Because of the grace of God. Not because you had a quiet time. You know what? If you have a quiet time, you might have a bad day. Why would you have a bad day? Because God loves you enough to lead you into things that will grow you. They'll hurt you and they'll grow you. I have a friend. He used to be an elder in this church. Most of you don't even remember him. Lovely guy. He was a worship leader, gentle-spirited guy. One day he's cruising along the dig road, singing melodies in his heart, probably praising out loud on his scooter. And a drunk guy steps in front of him. Bam! They have this accident. He says to me afterwards, I just I couldn't believe it. I was like, God, why? Why? Why would I have an accident while I'm busy praising you? I don't know what God would have said in response. Maybe you should have had more focus on the road. <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, the accident happened because it was God's will. There was a design in that. The guy would learn that God is with him even through painful, difficult things. That he can trust God even when things go wrong. If things have never gone wrong, you're always fearing that they're going to go wrong. When sometimes things have gone wrong and then you've seen God's faithful, you don't fear as much anymore. You're not as afraid after you faced your fear, after you've gone through the fire and you didn't get burned, you're like, wow. I'm actually in a better position now. When you've suffered, you're made stronger. That's why sometimes God plans hard things for us, to make us stronger. So, these things can be so subtle. You, can, you could have been thinking, um, I did my part today. I, I put money in the offering, so things should go better. Sorry, just because you were generous in the offering doesn't mean God's going to bless your business doesn't. You know, I used to tithe more disciplined at one point in my life, like a mathematician, I would pull out the exact 10% and I would give it to God 
And then when I was in business, I would be like doing all my part and my business floundered. It went badly. I didn't rack up massive debt, but the business wasn't going well. And I'm like, God, why won't you bless me? And I'm thinking to myself, well, I haven't done anything wrong. See, I've, that's superstitious thinking, thinking that if I tithe, God's going to bless my business. God's actually looking at me and thinking, if you get rich, you'll turn your back on me. I will never let you get rich. I love you too much. Sorry, that's not a prophecy for anyone in business. <laughs> but these things can be so subtle that we think I had a quiet time, so I'm going to have a good day, and then something terrible happens. God is still for you. Yes. God is still for you. Amen. Nothing has changed. You never. You, the day you don't have your quiet time, you're not at risk. You, you know, if you didn't have a ceremony when you broke ground, you can still have peace and joy in that house. If you didn't align the table to honor the spirits, there's probably even more of the Spirit of God in your house. We don't have to do things out of fear that if we don't, things are going to go wrong. Don't give out of fear that you're going to be in trouble if you don't. Don't have a quiet time because you think maybe the enemy will get at you if you didn't have your quiet time. Who is your defender? God, not your quiet time. Now have a quiet time. Please, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying disregard God in your daily disciplines. Have a disciplined life, but don't think superstitiously about how you live your life. Think relationally. And amazingly, this, this comes now from a, a columnist writer to the Catholic News Service writes this. It's good that it comes from a Catholic person. She writes, how do we tell when we're indulging in superstition? Is avoiding the 13th floor different from regulated religious activities like praying a special prayer or hanging on to a rosary or tithing or reading a daily scripture passage or meditating regularly? Now she gets down to it. Faith is a relationship which needs to be expressed. It touches our fears and longings but in context of freedom. Superstition also seeks the divine but does not trust the relationship. It uses symbols and acts to manipulate the relationship instead of entering into a divine human dialogue. This is brilliant stuff. I mean, if you understand this, superstition seeks the divine but does not trust the relationship. I'm telling you to trust God, whether you had a quiet time or not, whether you tithed or not, whether you put a bumper sticker on your car or not, whether you have a rosary or not, it's irrelevant. The issue is what is your level of trust? Are you trusting in those things or are you trusting in God Himself? Manipulating the mystery is not faith but superstition. Seeking security above mystery, superstition actually ends up losing both. Superstition seeks to take away the freedom from God. Even Charismatic Christians sometimes seek to take away the freedom from God because they demand the miracle. By seeking control, it tries to become God above God. And a Gospel Coalition writer writes this, The rosary on the mirror protects you from car accidents without the hassle of active trust in Christ or the difficult work of learning what He's teaching you in suffering. A rabbit's foot promises luck without having to rely daily on the Lord. Even your deep and precise theological knowledge can be a talisman giving you false assurance 
while you avoid grappling with the living and personal God who requires real repentance and faith. In other words, you can think because you know and study the Bible that you're in relationship with God. It's not the same thing. Theology is not relationship with God. It's a means to it, maybe. In the Gospel of Jesus Christ, we aren't presented with a talisman or pious superstition. We're presented with the person and work of God's Son, who saves us from our sin-soaked lives. We have faith in Christ not to make us lucky or to avoid harm. We have faith in Christ because He is worthy. He is with us in our suffering and He promises us eternal life. I'm wrapping up now. This is, this is what I want you to, to hold on to. It's the idea that God is ultimately in control and you should trust Him as He leads your life. He rules over it whether you end up in a tragedy or a triumph and you can turn to Him first and in the middle of and before and after all the situations of life. But to try to exert control, to say, God, I did this, so you must do that. Or God, I tithe, why did my business fail? Or God, I prayed every day and my husband still left me. Those things where you try to exert control, you're actually saying, I'm not comfortable with the mystery of God's leadership. I want to, I want to control and exert influence more directly. I'm saying, be comfortable with the mystery of God's leadership. Accept the fact that sometimes He takes you down a hard path. Know that He's always for you. The Gospel actually gives us that assurance that God is for us and will never ever punish us for our sin. So now that I know Christ has atoned for my sin, I can look at 1 John 4 verse 18, 16, whichever it is. It says, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. What's come into my life now is the knowledge that God loves me today, tomorrow, till the end of time. God loves me. He will never punish me or abandon me because of Jesus. So I don't have to now live in fear anymore. Fear of punishment, fear of bad luck, fear of circumstances, fear of misfortune. I don't have to bow to any superstitious behavior. If I forget to have a quiet time, I don't suddenly think later in the day, oh no, I'm now more at risk. No, I'm not more at risk. I love God, He loves me. It's okay. Should I make a habit of neglecting God's Word? No. Wouldn't be healthy spiritually. But should I rely on the degree to which I've studied the Word of God to feel safe? No. I must feel safe because I know my God. I know He is for me. He died for me. He lives to intercede for me. I forget to pray. You know what Jesus is doing? He's praying for me. He stands at the right hand of the Father where He lives to intercede for the saints. So, you didn't even pray for yourself? Jesus prayed for you. Whose prayers do you think are more effective? Well, Jesus, of course. So, He's got our lives covered. Start to finish. We don't need to follow any fuma. We don't have to do any custom. We don't have to perform any ceremony. We don't have to pay, like, what's it called? Protection money. Don't treat God as if He's not for you. Don't relate to God in a way that you think you have to keep Him on good terms with you. He's on good terms with you because of Jesus. If you understand what Jesus did at the cross, you'll know that God is always going to be on good terms with you as a believer. He's adopted you. He's embraced you. He loves you. Let's stand.
a band 